Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So in today's episode, ladies, we have Dana Dunford. Uh, she is a tech whiz, and we got into so many great things around self-management. And I know some people run from self-management, but we talked a lot about how to actually be successful, right, And in, in self-management. And one of the things I think was most helpful was really taking the emotions out of our decisions. And she gives some great, you know, ideas and ways of thinking about that to our listeners during this episode. Yeah, I think what I what I really appreciate about it is she says something that was very powerful to me. She's like, you want to run your your business, your portfolio as as a business, as if your tenants don't even know if you are self-managing it or if you have a property management company. So that's the level, right, that you want your tenants to perceive of you. And she gives you exactly like what are the areas that you should consider and the tools that you should consider when choosing self-manage. It's not for everybody, but it is for a lot of people. So if you are one of them, check this episode out. Interest rates are sky high in 2023, and buying a rental property means you could get stuck with an 8, 9, or 10% mortgage rate. But what about a 2.99% rate with rent to retirement? Rent to retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate with an average cash flow of over $900 per month. Plus, They've got options where you can put as little as 5% down with no PMI. As the nation's leading turnkey investment company, Rent to Retirement helps investors build headache-free, high cash flow rental portfolios. And since their properties are fully turnkey, newly built or renovated, leased and managed, anyone can invest, even those who aren't into landlording. So what are you waiting for? This 2.99% rate deal won't last long. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com. Or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Invest Her Show, where we are on a very big mission, right, Andressa, to empower women to live a financially free 
and balanced life. And we don't say that lightly because it's mm-hmm. every day is a little different. There's a lot happening in our, all of our worlds. So just to say, well, I'm financially free and it's balanced perfectly all the time <laughs> is complete Check. nonsense. We know that, but we want more of that in our life and we, we strive for that, right? It's like a vision. So we get that, ladies listening, <laughs> right, Andressa? Yes. I, I I heard this another day and I thought it was very cool, like comparing ourselves with trees. So uh, we do expect to treat the trees to produce fruits and, and, and the entire year. So why do we expect us to produce every single day when the weather changes or when circumstances change? So I was like, oh, that, that's a very cool, you know, expectations. We change as the seasons change in our lives, like the trees. I like that. I like that. And and it's it's an evolving mechanism. So um, Dana, thank you so much for being on our show. We're so appreciative of you joining us today, joining our community and our our podcast community and just sharing your your, uh, knowledge with us. So thanks so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Excited to to jump into uh, uh, Dana's, just all her expertise. She's got such a great background. I'm so excited. So many questions we have prepped for her. Before we go there, as we do uh, each week, uh, again, thanks so much for being on this journey with us. We say it's a journey because it is. And uh, Jess and I are super committed to giving you value with everything we're up to in, in all the different areas of our growing community and business and everything. Quick little, uh, we do always do like a quick banter, right, Andressa? Just a quick little something that's coming up for us. Yeah. Something that happened. What <laughs> and happened? Something we, what we, happened? Lot, lots have been, lots have been going, lots of just lots, lots of things happening. I don't know about you personally, professionally, all really good things, but I wanted to share a quick um, event that we, uh, we spoke at uh, recently. And uh, it was a, for a group of real estate agents. And it was a very large group of agents. And we spoke and uh, we asked the crowd, how many women invest in real estate? These are all pretty seasoned agents too. And about 10, 15 hands went up. And that was very telling uh, for us. I was quite honestly very surprised, you know, and, and like, whoa, these are real estate agents, right? These are women who are very successful agents. And yet just a handful of women are actually building their own wealth. So, you know, as, as, as Andres and I have evolved, um, you know, just this year, we actually launched an in- investor EXP team for the very reason, <laughs> so we can help women grow their agent business and grow their wealth and their portfolio. And it's just really important for Andres and I, not just to grow our business, but to really help women grow their wealth. That's what we're about beyond anything else, quite honestly. And I just really excited by that. A lot of women don't know we're doing this. So if you're looking at change brokerages or you want to grow your agent business and your, you know, your wealth, you know, learn more about what we're up to. You can check it out on our website. We have a great partner in this endeavor, Jonna Weber. I just wanted to mention that because like I said, so many women were so committed to helping you grow your wealth and it looks so differently to so many women. And we are just so committed to that. So I just wanted to mention that Andres, if you have anything to add. Yeah. I think I was very surprised and I had conversations with them and I was like, help me to understand. So you, do you work with investors and say, yep. It's like, so you see it, you see them buying it. You see them selling it. You see them renting it. It's like, yeah, I, I am the, the seller's uh, representative as well. It's was like, so you know how much was made. He's like, yep. I was like, so what it is that is holding you back? I think that's the answer. The most common answer. I don't feel confident confident going in by myself. Yeah. I feel that I already have too much on, on my plate. And Liz and I thought for a long period of time, like, 
it's not making rational sense, but knowing something does not change something. So one of the things that we put in place for our EXP, uh, investor EXP team is that it, we have our monthly masterminds where the agents come together and Jonah leads it to talk about their real estate agent, but in a quarterly basis, there's one specific mastermind that Liz and I run to discuss and move, move the needle forward in regards to the investment business. How can we provide them the tools and most important, the support for them to move that forward? It, that's not about knowledge. They already know that it makes sense, but there is a gap there in between them doing it by themselves, which is a big, big deal. And then creating that tribe that you can rely on and move the needle forward and build wealth instead of leaving paycheck to paycheck. So yes, that's what we bring to the table. Yes. So check it, check, you learn a little more about it. If you're just like, oh, this is the time, this is the time to, to maybe make some changes. We'd love to talk, chat with you and see if it's a good yeah. fit, but yeah, check us out on our, our, our website. You can learn more about it there. All right. So without further ado, Dina, let's jump in here. It's a lot to cover with you and just absolutely love what you're up to. Um, so we always kind of propel or, or start propel into the, to the interview portion of like, what prompted you to get involved in investing? I know you're, you're an active investor. You also work with like thousands of investors too. So you're, you're, you have such a wealth of knowledge. So for you, the question I want to propose to you is what propelled you in getting involved in in investing, but also serving investors? So let's 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 phrase it that way. Yeah, um, definitely. So I started in technology. I'll, I'll give you my background. So I never really thought, oh, I'm going to go into property management or real estate investing at all. Um, I was I was here in Silicon Valley and um, was working at Apple, and I actually saw my sister and brother in law do really well off of their real estate investments, which actually was my brother in law, not my sister, who was the impetus of it, um, where they had a, a lot of work-life balance from investing in real estate and also did really well um, off of it. And um, from that perspective, I had said, you know, I want to get involved in real estate, which now obviously my husband um, and I are investors, but I don't want to have to get involved with all the day-to-day -day management. That sounds like a nightmare. Mm. And um, so then kind of fast forward, I took basically the pain points of property management, figured out ways to make that more efficient, and then said, great, now I can also invest in real estate and help others. Um, so that was that was the start of it. It was um, very much an accident falling into it, I would say. Um, from, from that perspective, it wasn't like I had planned it out myself. Um, I was at a turning point, which I think a lot of people are when you're in business school, where you can go back to where you are. So I, I had offers both at Nest and Apple to go back to those companies. And um, Nest was acquired then by Google. So I'd been working at Google or kind of venture on my own. And that is where I, I took that road that actually is quite frightening and I did it all the wrong way. But I took that road of let me actually do something else, but apply my knowledge and expertise of technology um, to real estate investing, um, which I think has, has helped overall. What, what made you think that it was the wrong way, Dana? I'm um, just curious. I, I, yeah, not, I, I would say that, you know, when you start a company or when you're investing in real estate, um, you definitely, for both cases, want to make sure that you have enough cash lined up. And um, business school is expensive. I think I calculated it out to, with opportunity cost, it was about $300,000 a year 
that I was leaving, that I was setting aside, which is a substantial amount of money. And I paid for business school myself. And so when I was out of those two years, my bank account was at zero, like literally at zero. I had no money in it. And um, I think that's a hard, a hard place to be. And so, you know, sometimes I think, oh, maybe I should have gone back to Apple or Nest for a while um, before before diving into real estate, property management, and real estate investing. I mean, now in hindsight, I'm glad I did it, but at the time, it did it did feel a lot rougher um, than the than the alternative. But you know, you took a it's so interesting because I I think that way too in in the path me and my husband took like you know, what if, what if he just stayed his, his job a little longer, we wouldn't yeah. have been as stressed. Like, you know, you think those things in hindsight, of course, right. You certainly think about it sometimes in the moment, but in hindsight, but you wouldn't have maybe grown the business that you've grown, right. The way you did had that not happened the way it did. Right. And I think someone told me that once and I was saying something, Oh, it took me a lot. It's like, you wouldn't have had those experiences and you're not be able to help other people if it all kind of went as smooth as you quote unquote thought it should have went, you know? And I'm like, that's a really good point, you know? So, so for your journey, um, you start this business, you're working with so many landlords, um, and I, and, and, and who are self-managing. I think the statistic you said, right. Is like 72% of rental properties are self-managed, which is like so high. I didn't know it was that high to be honest with you. And we self-managed for, I don't know, eight years. So, there's a lot to self-managing. So I, I really would love to kind of dive into that because not only do you have the experience yourself, but you work with so many landlords. So let's start at the beginning a little bit here. Um, why do you think it's so hard for people to successfully self-manage? Well, I think, um, so it, every real estate investor is considered an SMB, small, medium-sized business, and typically on that small side. And when you look at just stats of small businesses around the U.S., it doesn't matter what it is, if it's a restaurant, if it's a clothing store, or if it's someone who's a landlord, when you look at small businesses, there's one trend that you see across all of them. And that trend is they have a really high willingness to pay if they think it's going to generate more income to the top line. And so what I mean by that, if they think they can get another tenant into the property for more money, right, like for a higher price, they'll they'll do that. So they'll do that renovation to increase the, the rental rate. But when it comes to operations, the day-to-day operations, they have a very low willingness to pay and try to do everything themselves for that reason. Um, and so they're not investing in the infrastructure to like be more passive. And so that's the start of it is that a real estate investor looks at, I can hire a full service property manager, which is if you have just a single family home, 10%, that can be about 50% of your profits, or I can do it myself. They usually choose that do it myself majority because they say, oh, yikes, I'm giving this property manager $150, $200 a month, and I want to save that money. What they forget every single time is that their time is valuable. So if you're a lawyer, you know what your billable rate is. You know what your hourly rate is. But does everyone else on the show, like, do you know what you would consider your hourly rate? I mean, you could probably take your last salary or the salary you have today, divide it by the number of hours in the year that you work and come up with like what that billable rate is. But a lot of times they don't account for their time within their self-management. And so they say, wow, this is so much cheaper than, than doing the alternative. 
in my opinion, I think there is a middle ground. Um, I, I, I strongly believe it's not all or none. And you can kind of have the best of both. You can still self-manage and have that control and transparency because real estate investors are buying a physical asset. So you want some control or transparency over that asset that you own. And so I still think you can do that and self-manage, but I'm also a huge proponent of getting the help that you need when you need it. And so a perfect example is leasing, finding and placing a tenant. You probably shouldn't be going out there and doing all those showings. You can get a leasing agent to do that. Um, I've seen landlords go in and like do the cleaning themselves. And like, there's so much wrong with that, that I can go over about like, how do you charge back on the security deposit? If it's you doing it, there's so much wrong with that. But again, it's, you see them doing that. It's like, no, you should have a cleaner. You should have a list of service professionals lined up that these are the people you use. And you're much more in that seat of, confirming and making sure all the operations are going smoothly. And so that's where I I am a huge proponent of self-management. For some people, I don't recommend it. And some properties, I don't recommend it. And I'm happy to go through those. But I also think there's kind of this balance with self-management where you need to figure out where you should be working with others and experts who are licensed, insured, et cetera, to help with your properties. And I think this is true for whether you have one or a hundred rental properties, because your time is better spent making sure you're saving your money, making sure you're making the next investment, everything else that kind of goes into being a real estate investor. I want to go there. I want to pick back on what you're saying, because a lot of the women that are listening to us right now and looking to scale their business or, or invest out of state, besides the, let's put aside the PM charge per month, right? Let's put that aside because that is one of the criteria that people look into it. So the question is, they are asking themselves, should I self-manage this or should I hire? So if we put the, the money aside, because that will vary, is there a number of doors that they should consider or the distance from they are where they are are those uh, factors that you would recommend them to ask themselves and if there's any others they are like they need to think about this too no I don't actually I, I there's other factors that I would consider but um, let me just start with the two that you had mentioned number of doors no um, I think as you scale your units, like once you get to 50, you might consider an employee or some sort of virtual admin to be like administering things for you. So there are certain things that you could do, but, and as you scale, you'll have more people as part of your team, but self-managing is fine. You can even set up an entity, an LLC for that management arm. Um, and so I don't think number of doors is, is a factor, um, I also don't think distance is a factor. So we have investors who are in Singapore. We have investors who are in Australia, like places where ours are so different and they have properties across the U.S. Um, so that's, those two aren't the factors. The factors that I do think you need to consider is one type of property that you have. That's important. Um, and then two, your personality type. Um, so I'll go over both of those. 
Um, first property type is so if you're investing in an area that's a D class or low, low C class neighborhood where the tenants still have checks picked up by mail or, or sorry, by hand paper um, bag? or yeah, yeah. They've got cash. <laughs> I've gotten rent in paper bags before. Oh, so yeah. you all know yeah, the paper bags. Exactly. If you have that, if you're having to go over constantly to check on the place, um, if, if there's a much larger level of involvement based on the property type. That's where I think you should hire a full service manager who's local, who like literally drives the neighborhood every week, every day, whatever it may be. I think in those particular instances, it's, it's not wise for you to self-manage. And especially because this is a show of women in some places, if it's the neighborhood rating score is lower it might also be unsafe for you to be doing that, um, depending um, depending on what the property is. So, from that perspective, if you are on, um, if you're doing those D class or like C minus properties in certain types of neighborhoods, you might consider passing the reins over. Um, the other times that I, I tell, and women are better at this because they're better at multitasking and they're better with operations. I find, but there's a lot of real estate investors. We say you shouldn't self manage and you should get. Uh, a full service property manager, like a traditional one. And those are ones where they aren't very good at operations. In other words, the types of people who like never open their email, aren't really good at like figuring out task management. They're kind of aloof in that sense. Like they like are away for like three months and then they check their email and they're like, oh, maybe I'll get back to this. If you don't have any good project management or operations skills, you're really going to do a disservice to your tenants who are your customers and to your asset and your cash flow, right? Um, from that perspective, because you're not going to be on top of things. So there are some people who, from a personality type, say, I don't want to hear about my rental property. I just want to literally get a check in the mail with my my portion, um, less deducted management fees and repairs. Those are the types of people who should be using traditional full service managers. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's interesting. I felt like you were like inside my brain and inside <laughs> me and my husband's process. I don't think I'm, we're the type of people who would go three months and not check email, but I, I do think a lot of per, the personality and also like, where do you, what kind of business do you want to grow to what you're saying is so so important to assess when you're trying to figure this out too. Um, for example, when we were self-managing everything ourselves, we knew either we're going to grow our own property management company or we're going to start to outsource. And we started to outsource for the very reason of just like, and Matt, my husband, I, to, to my credit, usually is my credit, um, said, I'm going to, I'm going to hire someone who's going to manage that 49 unit. And then they're going to report to me. And I'm like, that's not what you're going to do. He goes, why? I said, that's not your strength. You're not going to deal with that. It's not going to, it's not going to, the road, that, that road is not going to work out very well. It's going to be a dead end. Because of not just personality, but strengths. Where do you want to spend your time? What kind of business do you want to grow? Um, So we decided to hire that third-party management company for that size of building. And it was out of state. And it just made sense for our business growth. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the best things we could do. Self-managing wasn't in our wasn't the kind of business we wanted to grow. And I don't think it was actually aligned with our strengths, quite honestly, as, as a team. So to your point, you have to look in the mirror, you know, and you have to also say, what what assets am I buying? And sometimes it's hard, though. 
right? It's really to, hard. To really be even aware of that and accept it. Well, we could have, we honestly think about the other road, right? We could have convinced ourselves. We had a team. It wasn't like we we're running this slapjack company. We, we, as process or as lack of processes as me and my husband are, I actually put a manual together on property management. <laughs> I mean, you'd be proud of me undressed. It was oh all like, gosh. In a, it was like in I this big it. fat binder, but I actually put a whole life cycle for the tenants. I mean, I actually, between the two of us, I was more process oriented. I could shock you, Andressa. But that well, was in my. Um, I'm like, I knew you, you had that little seed inside. I have you. a little seed in me, but it's not <laughs> it's not our core genius. And I think that's the bigger question, Dana, you're making a reference to. Um, and I think it has to do with what kind of portfolio you're looking to build. Yeah. And there's so many people who self-manage and they keep most of the money. And because of the size of property, everything, it just works. Other people, it's like, okay, this is, this is going to be the worst thing I can do. So to your point, personality, type of asset and type of... Um, you know, environment, I think are great, are great criteria to, to go, you know, so let's go down the self-management path. Cause I think that does make sense for so, so many people. Let's talk about like, when you think about the, the landlords you've worked with, you know, yeah. what does it take to, and I love your idea around operations. What does it take to really run, you know, a successful operation, right? And they may have 10 doors, may have five doors, right? A lot of women have 50, it doesn't really matter how many doors, but what does it mean to run a professional, yeah. like, shop as you referred to it when we were, you know, connecting uh, prior to this. I like that term. And I don't know, Jess and I work with so many women who just run this as, you know, a side hustle. So they're not, they're not putting the professionalness into it yet. That's going to be the very thing that is going to be their Achilles heel if they don't deal with it. So walk us through a little bit what that looks like to, to kind of set up and run a, a professional shop. Yeah. It, you have to think of it like running a business. Um, and so what I mean by that is, um, you're, you're going to build a team. It might be a small team. It might just be you and your husband to start with or a partner that you co-invested with, or it might be you guys plus your service professionals or, or plus a leasing agent, but you want to build a team. And, um, to your point, Liz, you want to build off of strengths. So things you're very good at. So know what, what gets you out of bed and what you love doing. So most real estate investors, I actually find love financials. They love to control the financials. They love to look at the books and see, you know, um, how they're performing with their real estate investments, but things like plumbing calls and, um, you know, a call from a tenant that, um, the, the lights aren't working, having to troubleshoot and go through that they don't want to do. Um, so I think from that perspective, it's figuring out when you're running a professional shop, what you're good at doing and doing those that well. And then what you're not doing, building a team that can help you. And I'm not talking about a full-time team, right? You can have someone like a handyman can be part of your team, but they don't work exclusively for you. But when you do that, it's just like when you, when you're, at your job and you're interviewing someone, it's the same exact process. You want to have questions of what is important to me with these folks and how do I interview and make sure that I'm bringing the right people onto my team that I trust and I know that they're going to do a great job. Um, the second thing, which I think is incredibly important and surprisingly, I'm shocked by how many um, landlords don't do it is taking the emotion out of landlording. <laughs> and I say that because with, with running your operations, everything goes back to the lease agreement and what the lease agreement states. And there's always going to be situations where it's 
hey, I've, um, um, I um, have a pet in the property and I'm not supposed to or whatever. And landlords getting so emotional. I can't believe they did this. They told me they didn't have a pet and now they have one. It's like, you can't let emotion get into this. This is a professional shop. And how I see it is they write responses to tenants that are like completely inappropriate, like very aggressive, right? As if they are in a family group. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah. And, and from that perspective, it's like, no, you should draft something that's very kind, referring back to the lease agreement. And that's a violation of lease agreement post the notice of lease violation. Like there's a process with property management, which I love. And there's the legally binding document, which I love because you can always just refer back to that and be like, Hey, it's, it's not my rules. It's the legally binding documents rules. Um, so I think which, by the up, way you signed and agreed yeah, to, right? Exactly. You signed <laughs> and agreed to. So I think as part of that, um, those, those I would say are the two most important things, um, associated, um, with that self-management and I, I don't see that happen that often. I see a lot of, and this is particularly women as well, just because I feel like women take so much on because they are good at multitasking, but they try to do it all with their property management. And then they get very emotional about when something goes wrong, rather than saying, I am the managing member of this LLC where the property is. I, as the managing member, need to oversee the LLC. The LLC owns it. I don't have a motion with that. It's the LLC that owns it. And I need to refer back to the documents, what we have. I need to strengthen those documents, working with a real estate attorney if they're not good enough, and really taking a motion out of it and coming up with, to Liz's point, the binder of like the systematic process. And, and the best landlords I find really do have that where they, they're they very professional throughout the process from that perspective. Um, so I would say that those are the things that I think are most important. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. 
So, so for the ladies that are listening and thinking about the box where you have all the receipts or where is actually the lease agreement that I cannot find it or I don't even know, right? So for, for, for those folks that are listening to us right now and having a mini panic attack because they're like, it's a mess and I don't even want to show that mess to anybody else because it's a mess. And even thinking about putting those processes together is also overwhelming to them. They're like, there's so many. I may, might as well not even look at it and just pray to God that we'll make cash flow at the end of the month. So if we can break it down to them, where they can start to organize whatever situation that they have, how they can start the process of becoming a business owner from that landlording perspective, where would you say is the first thing that they should gather and look at and handle it first? Um, well, I think um, from that perspective, I mean, they obviously need systems and tools in place that just automate that and, and help make sure you have a lease uploaded and stuff like that. But I think it starts with themselves. Um, someone who is that disorganized, where they don't have the lease contracts in place, they don't have everything set up. Um, I would actually, to Liz's point, take a look in the mirror and say, is this something I want to do? Because they actually might get more cash flow. That type of personality type where they like don't even know and they don't even care to, like, I don't know if they've managed for a year like this and they're wondering if they're making cash flow and they don't even know where the lease agreement is. Now, like, I understand there's an extent there and I'm, I'm going for the extreme, but they should look in the mirror and say, am I serious about this? Am I going to get the systems and infrastructure in place? Am I going to make sure I have the lease agreements, everything um, set up so that I'm not worried about this cash flow? And from that perspective, I would argue that if someone is like so much on the extreme where they can't, they don't have time and it is emotional, maybe they do need a full service traditional manager. And that's where we would tell people like, hey, we're not for you. Like you should go for to someone else if it's at that extreme. Now, if they just say, Oh, I never thought about that. Like I do need to get a system and a structure in place. I'm willing to do this. And I'm going to take this weekend to get everything set up, look through contracts, educate myself on tenant landlord law, make sure I have everything in place. Like then I would say, yeah, definitely do self-management. I think that's a really important point because it's, I'm just going to speak personally because that's just, you know, that's the only person I'm with right now is myself. Um, but like, you know, I really appreciate processes. I appreciate like mm -hmm. all the things that like we put in place, right? Andressa in, in invest her, this automates to this. And then you click here and you change this status. And it has created such a, we've grown our meetups. We've grown a lot of different things in our, our, our community and business. And I'm so grateful and appreciative all those above all those processes, Am I the person who's going to go and create all those processes by myself and be like super excited to do that and actually be quite honestly really good at doing that? No, but can I be part of that process? Mm -hmm. So I think my, my point in saying this is for the people listening or the women listening and men, because uh, a lot of men do listen to our show. We do love you too. For the folks listening that appreciate processes, they just don't always know how, and then they beat themselves up. Well, I should know how to do this. I'm pretty bright. I'm pretty smart. And then people beat themselves up when they don't put these tools and systems in place because they honestly don't know what to do, to be perfectly frank. And they don't know how to do it. But if they have support from people in their world, right, that's what we're so committed to is support and, 
you can then be, they want to be part of that process. You know, bright mm-hmm. people who want a strong financial, um, you know, what are they doing this to build their wealth? They want the same things. I just, they don't give themselves enough credit where they can contribute and also allowing other people to help and getting those pieces in place. Don't beat yourself up for not do. I did that for a long time. I'm just speaking personally. I'm like, I should know how to do this. I'm a bright person. I went to Penn for graduate school. I should know how to do this. What a moron. Like, and I would have love negative self-talk. This can't be that complex, but it's not my forte. And I have to let go of that. I can't be good at mm-hmm. everything, you know? And I think that's a hang up for a lot of women who are not naturally process-oriented. They want it. They just don't know how to put it in place. So we need to allow ourselves, A, to get help and B, yeah. um, allow ourselves to 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 know what we don't know and, and do what we need to do with others so we can put those plate pieces in place. I don't know, Andres, if that makes sense with what you've seen on your end, because you and I ha- are so different too. Yeah, I, I think it's just a, a matter of, there's no right or wrong here. It's like, what it's, what does it fit as you're saying, Dana? Like, look in the mirror. That's the time. Mm-hmm. Is this something that I even want to do it? it? Am I enjoying it? Do, am I capable, willing to to do the work? Because the, the content, the educational piece is available, right, Dana? You guys focus a lot in, into teaching it and, and, and walking. So it's just mm-hmm. a matter of, do I want to? learn that? Do I want to take it over and self-manage? Because I think there's a, and I want to hear from you, Dana, you're the expert on this. Self-manage, there's, I think that you can break down two parts, right? Self-manage, like sloppy self-manage. Yeah. And then the professional self-manage. And I think we are talking here about how can you truly successfully self-manage a property, which looks very different from the common perception of you do the way that you think, Yeah, oh, that's just my way of doing it. Yeah. And if you professionally self-manage, your tenants who I consider as your customers will think that you are using a full service professional manager. Like that is the extent of what self-management successfully looks like. Um, And I I actually, just to add on to your point, sometimes also people have the wrong properties for them. So like, I'll give you an example of um, a recent situation where we had a real estate investor from LA and I won't name names, but she had a property in Columbus, Ohio. And it was a much lower income. It was giving her so much stress. I mean, shootouts outside, all these types of things where she just said, I want to get out of real estate hundred percent. I'm, I'm out of this. This is too much. I'm going to take this money and put it into something else. One, there were problems with organization and stuff, but two, I think it was that point that you had mentioned, she didn't know what to do next. And what I told her is, hey, this is a duplex. You should do a 1031 and get a property that's much better for you to manage. It's much more controllable without so many variables and situations if you want to self-manage. Or you can look at a a traditional manager and find a really top-rated one. There's no reason to get 100% out of real estate, especially right now when real estate's such a hot asset class and like inflation's going up. Like there's so many reasons to get involved in real estate. Don't jump out of it, but do look at what you can do to improve the process. And it might be exchanging the property for another one, or it might be going through and saying, I do need to pass the reins over. And so there's no kind of one size fits all. Um, I do see though, because mass market, like majority of real estate investors self-manage, I don't think that's going away. It's just how do you make it more efficient and better and provide the resources, tools, and to your guys' point, what you do support to allow them to do that. 
I think that's where it's very beneficial and you can set up a professional shop with self-management. Yeah, I love that. You you also talk really um, about aligning incentives. Can you can you explore that a little bit more or share that a little more? Meaning like incentives with your team, incentives with your tenants, or incentives yeah. with like or even just your service providers, right? The handyman, the plumber, the the electrician, all the people we're going to need to hire. We have hired. So curious to get your insight into that because I'm sure you see a lot of that on on uh, the work you do. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, there's a lot which we won't have um, time to go over, but let me give you an example with your tenants. I've seen so many self-management, so landlords, DIY, who go out and they tell their tenant at the end of the year, I'm raising your rent or whenever the lease is up for renewal, raising your rent by 5% next year. And here's the 12 month lease. A tenant suddenly gets emotionally 5%. Oh my gosh, I'm struggling here. There's like this, this emotional, I can't believe they're doing this. And what's really interesting about it is, is you want to align incentives and have the tenant select the option that is best for them, but also best for you. So Mm. let me give you an example. You could say, Hey, I'm raising rent or maybe let me, because I don't want it to be too extreme. Maybe the case is I'm raising your rent by 2% for this 12 month lease. It's like, wait, you're raising my rent. I've been a great tenant. I help fix everything. How could you raise it by 2%? But think about it this way. You go to your tenant and you say, okay, we're, we're going to do the lease renewal. You have two options. You could do a um, 12 month lease at 2%, or if you want to stay month to month and have that flexibility, we won't lock you into full 12 months, but you're going to have to pay it's a 5% increase or 6%. Now you have to worry about state regulations and county regulations. Suddenly for a tenant, you've given optionality where suddenly that 2% doesn't seem so high anymore when the alternative is a 5 to 6% increase from month to month. And so there are certain things, and now not all situations you should offer month to month, but there are certain situations where you have to put yourself in the shoes of the other person and say, what would make it where this looks like a good deal for them? Um, so, so that's an example with tenants. An example with um, uh, service professionals and um, aligning incentives there is making sure there's a lot of times with pricing where suddenly there's this dispute of like, wait, I can't believe they charged me for this. How could they do that? I can't believe they upcharged me on the materials. I didn't realize they upcharged 10%. Having transparency up front and knowing with your service professionals what they're charging, making sure you're fair. Like, hey, if you show up and the tenant's not there for the service, you can charge your, your $69 service call rate or whatever their service call rate is. And we are going to back charge it to the tenant and making sure the tenant's aware of that mm. if they've scheduled it. Um, we're still going to be fair to you on that, but you know, no upcharges on materials. So really making sure that all these incentives are aligned where you're not having like price increases based on like materials being more expensive or them not having an incentive to, to um, find cheaper materials because they get more if, if they're charged more. Certain things like that, it's the same with your tenants. You want to make them understand your logic and then meet them halfway and give them that optionality. And the, the same is true with service professionals. Um, so there's a lot of times where I think there's strategy involved there to really think about like, hey, let me put myself in the shoes of the other person 
and understand like, why do they upcharge on materials? And like, maybe there's a better way to structure it so that they don't upcharge on materials or there's a limit to that or, or whatever it may be. Um, as a side note, we don't work with service professionals typically who upcharge. Um, that's very rare case, um, but certain things like that to making sure incentives are aligned on both sides. Yeah, that's great. That's great, Dana. I think it's it's interesting. You know, we start talking about self-management. We talk about strategies and tips and suggestions. There's so many, but I love the theme of this episode in a lot of ways is like, in, in a lot of ways, it's just looking at yourself in the mirror, seeing what you you can own and not own. Um, and, 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 and I love what you're saying right now is like, if you're, you have all these customers, right? Your, your, your vendors, your, your, your team who might be leasing a unit for you, um, the electrician, your tenants, uh, your banker, right? The people that are, are financing your deals. So we have all these constituents as investors. We don't think of it like that, but they are. They're like, they're like we're like politicians and these are constituents in a sense. And we have to like put ourselves in their shoes. And I, I love that. I love that concept. And I love that reminder because we can get really caught up in the grind of the issue at hand versus like, let me put myself in their shoes. Um, yeah. and, and, and how do I, how do I, you know, maybe convince them there's no convincing, but give them options. I love that. Uh, and it's transparency. So great, great reminder for, for seasoned people that are self-managing as well as experienced. Cause I think that we overlook that and we're looking for like that next strategy, that next cost-saving strategy. The cost-saving strategy is to keep the people happy and, and to do that in a way that's a win-win. Love that. So, um, Dina, where can, um, where can the ladies listening learn more about you and all the cool things you're doing with, with lots of landlords? Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, the, it, I work with landlords on self-management, helping them self-manage, but build that team. Um, so it's such things as 24-7 repair coordination if you need them, introducing you to leasing agents. Um, easiest way actually to call, get a hold of me is email. Um, my email is Dana, D-A-N-A, at hemlane.com, H-E-M-L-A-N-E.com. Um, you can also check out our website, Hemlane. Um, you can type in Hemlane Property Management uh, and uh, check out what we do there. Um, but if you want to get directly in touch with me, I'm much better with email than phone or social media. That's awesome. All this information you guys can find on our show notes Dana, now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And the first one is, what's the most transformational book you ever read? Um, okay, so transformational. There, well, there's a lot. Um, the book that I, I really like that makes me think, especially in today's day and age, is um, Lexus and the Olive Tree by Thomas Friedman. And the reason I bring that one up is I think there's a balance between culture as well as globalization. And the more that it's easier for you to invest in properties in different areas where it may not be a culture that you're used to, um, there's the benefits of that, but you also have to make sure there's a balance. Um, and so I find that book just to have a lot of parallels today, what we see in the political system, what we see across the globe. And there's no answer, but it's really good to think about it and, and, and see the balance um, there. Awesome. The second question is, what's the most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life? Okay. So this isn't a, a routine, but it's a tool that I think everyone should download. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of routines I do, um, but there's um, something in my Gmail inbox that's, that's boomerang. 
And basically every time I send someone an email and I ask them something for something. So I say like, Hey, Liz, really excited. You know, um, that you want me on your podcast. Let me know what the date is. I always say, if there's no reply in four days or whatever, send it back to the top of my inbox. That way I don't have to have task management elsewhere to be like, remember to see if Liz followed up. And then like, if they didn't check it off, it just comes back to my inbox. Hey, Liz, let's make sure now Liz, you got right back to me, but um, (laughs) it it just helps with project management from that perspective. And I think um, if you're looking at new deals and stuff like that, looking at service professionals and contractors for property management, I think it's really important because you can just send something right back up and be like, oh yeah, I need to hear back from that handyman. Sometimes people get busy and things get lost. So it's a really good project management. I do it with my text messages as well. Yeah. And the last question is, which woman famous or not has inspired you the most? Can I give two? Yes. Okay, great. Um, The one that I love is Jacinda Ardern. Um, She's the prime minister of New Zealand. Um, First of all, I felt like she- I love her so much. I can't say it. She, um, she handled um, COVID um, really well um, for the country. Um, on top of that, I think she leads by example and um, has a personality that I, people, you want that personality. She's so kind and nice, but also incredibly smart and witty. Um, and then she's also someone that you see has a balance in her life um, and, and balance from the perspective that she also had a kid while she was in the office. She was second prime minister to ever have a child in office. Um, and so I, I think there's a lot of things um, that women um, can be inspired by. Um, by just I, I follow her on Facebook and Instagram and she's posting every day. She's so real. She's just a human. Mm-hmm. And she uses the means that other people use, like social media, to let you know what's going on in government every day there. And um, I think the U.S. could use some more examples like that. Um, so that's the first one. Um, the second one is obviously my mother. Um, that's that's probably one you hear from others. Um, she leads the National Academy of Sciences. She's the first woman to do that, but she's also been the first woman to do a lot in science. Um, so she's also someone who inspires me every day. That's so great. I love it, Dana. Um, and I know you've had a lot of firsts First woman, uh, different different stories. We have to have you back on as like a part two of some really cool, cool cool stories we didn't get into this time around. But thanks so much for being on our show. Thank you for sharing your knowledge uh, with us and our community. And we, we appreciate your time. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much, Dana. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.